Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. This is the third of four episodes where I look at fancy weaves. In this episode, I'm going to get all into the world of pile weaves. In this next episode where I talk about fancy weaves, I'm going to talk about pile fabrics, only a couple of which are actually very fancy. Velvet, that's fancy. But carpeting, we don't really think of carpeting as fancy. In the next episode, I'll cover double cloths and textured weaves, but for now, we're going to focus on pile weaves. So these fabrics are fancy in the sense that they require a loom that is more complex than a basic loom, but the fanciness is really only that there's some kind of 3D structure that's been woven into a ground fabric, right? So typically yarns or fibers that stick up out of the surface of the fabric to give it a 3D nature. That's really kind of all. Um, This 3D pile is typically created from a third set of yarns, right, that are either going in the warp direction or the filling direction. The pile can be loops that are sticking up out of the surface of the fabric or, so think of like terry cloth, or they can be uh, cut, so think of like velvet right? And so you can put your hands in those and you have to kind of dig your fingers down to find the fabric that's at the bottom of that fabric. Terry cloth is, a, it's almost hard to see the ground because it has, it can have loops on both sides. But velvet, you can see when you turn it over, there's a flat side. That's what we're calling the ground. Uh, so to categorize these pile weaves, I'm going to start, I'm basically going to talk about the different types of machines that produce it and then tell you the fabrics that will be produced with those machines. Uh, the first category of pile weaves would be something called a weft pile. A weft pile is where we add that third set of yarns going in the weft direction. Uh, we call it filling, but in industry it's called weft pile. So the filling yarns are very long floats. They're extra inserted yarns. We learned about those in Dobby weaves. These extra inserted yarns are interlaced with the warp every so often. So we end up with long floats and then they're interlaced. Uh, so it goes over maybe, you know, seven or eight, and then it goes under. But unlike a satin where the over under switches places randomly to give it a nice smooth surface, In this one, the very next filling yarn goes under the exact same one as the previous one. So we end up having this sort of woven uh, valley where all of the filling floats go under that one yarn. And then we have this kind of ridge where all of the floats are floating between until they get to the next valley. So we end up kind of with this fabric that has long floats on the surface and stripes that go down in the warp direction. This is kind of the counterintuitive thing. Because we're putting the filling yarns in to do this, we call it a weft pile, but the stripes or the valleys go in the warp direction. We'll use that in a minute to help us identify or differentiate between different types of pile fabrics. After we're all done, we'll actually uh, basically stick a special kind of scissor. It's a it's sort of a metal rod that goes under the floats with a with a cutting disc that follows on top, and we'll stick it under those. Um, Uh, floats and we'll cut the floats exactly in half and then we'll brush them with a a special brush which we'll learn about in finishes in order to brush them up. 
Now, the challenge with this is the taller we want to get the what is called the rib, the, the little line of pile that's sticking up, kind of like a row of corn stalks, the taller we want to get that, the longer we have to make the float because the height of the rib is half the float. But the taller we make the pile, the further apart the rows are, right? The, there's a, this broad space between the ribs and that exposes the ground. So we have to find the perfect balance. Of course, we're using a very low twist spun yarn so that as we cut it, it splays apart and creates this fuzzy surface. And you're kind of trying to picture it, aren't you? Well, if they're far enough apart that we can kind of see the space between them, we call it corduroy. Corduroy means cloth of the king, corduroy. And so although now we think of corduroy as sort of a 70s workman's type fabric, um, I know in the 70s I had a pair of purple corduroy knickers. My mom made them for me at the end of first grade and gosh darn it, they were out of style by the time I got to second grade. It was my first and most horrible experience with fashion trends. I finally had something fashionable that my mother would make for me, not a holly hobby dress with a little sunbonnet. And I finally had this fashionable pair of knickers. And by the time I got to second grade, they were O-V-E-R. But corduroy is was a royal fabric and considered very lush, even though it's made with a spun yarn. So cotton, typically. If we put the ribs a little bit closer together so that we can't really see the ground between them and brush them really hard, we get a fabric called velveteen. Remember how sateen was satin's poor country cousin because satin was made with silk and sateen was made with cotton? Same situation here. Velveteen is velvet's poor country cousin. And so you can very quickly identify the difference between velvet and velveteen because velveteen is a weft pile. So if you squeeze it or pinch it in the warp direction, so if you have a big bolt of cloth and you pinch it in the longwise direction, you'll be able to see the ground, the line of the ground between the ribs. Velvet, on the other hand, will not have that distinctive line. And so even if you don't test the fibers to see what they're made of, you'll be able to tell that uh, one was produced in the weft direction and the other was produced in, you guessed it, the opposite direction, the warp direction. So warp piles are also made with a third set of yarns, but, and I'll talk about this in the, in the next episode where I discuss double cloths, uh, it's actually made by having this third set of yarns travel back and forth between two separate woven fabrics. So we actually weave two fabrics on top of each other, and the third yarn goes is woven under a yarn, uh, a warp yarn in the I mean, I'm sorry, filling yarn in the bottom fabric, and then it's raised up to be part of the top fabric where it's woven into uh, with a filling yarn, and then it's lowered down, and then it's raised up, and it's lowered down, and it's raised up. And when it's all finished, we have this kind of fabric sandwich, and then it's very carefully cut apart. I recommend that you take a look online for a, a diagram of velvet made with the double cloth method, because I can't do it justice verbally, but this uh, special machine, which has been around for centuries, it's a Renaissance art, if not earlier, uh, because it just basically uses a basic loom, right? It's just a plain weave, only two looms set on top of each other with this one um, warp that's being moved uh, very simply between the two. So uh, this is uh, the considered a warp pile because the uh, third set of yarns go in the warp direction. 
because we're not doing it in the little ridges, right, um, like we do in the weft pile, uh, we can get um, the pile to be very uh, long. And uh, the distance between the two uh, fabrics is the length of the pile, right, divided by two. So if we pull the two fabrics further apart and weave this extra warp yarn between the two, then we can have taller pile. If we squeeze the fabric, we may see a bit of ground going in the side to side or crosswise direction um, because that would be uh, the places where the warp yarn was um, in the upper fabric, right? And so then it would just be woven normally below and then it would re be returned down to the fabric. So we would see a little bit of a line where uh, while the extra yarn was being woven into the other fabric. Uh, velvet is, uh, you know, certainly um, uh, easy enough to identify. I will mention there's a couple of uh, types of velvet. You might see a crushed pile velvet. That's where we just sort of randomly uh, flatten the pile, uh, kind of wrinkle it up. Um, and uh, it sounds like a terrible idea, but actually it's really great for upholstery because if somebody sits on it and kind of crushes it in one direction or the other, you can't really tell. Uh, I know that I had a crushed pile uh, ice blue where it was used for the drapery of my box bed that I had as a child, a medieval style box bed, I know. And um, this, uh, these ice blue drapery, I, um, uh, when I was in junior high, I was the costume designer for, um, oh, what was that? Uh, was it the Merchant of Venice? And so I used it to make the costumes, right? So all of the nobles in this Shakespeare play had, had, um, uh, ice blue. We just pretended it was like their house color. Uh, then I got seersucker drapes for my box bed, which is a different, um, a different lecture. Uh, and of course, uh, we could plat flatten all the pile in just one direction. Again, great for upholstery. Think kind of like a teddy bear, right? Um, and that's called penne. So that is uh, the second method of making a pile. There's a third method which was developed again um, typically because it could be used with a hand loom and this is called an overwire method and so this is where uh, a wire is inserted uh, and is used to pull up warp yarns and then the the fabric is beat, right? So you would basically weave a filling yarn, stick this wire rod in, right? Weave another filling yarn, lift up the wire as high as you need it. Well, the cool thing about this is you can do it in a line straight across, or you could actually weave the wire in going diagonally and lift up pile in, in a different direction, right? So we can create kind of sculpted uh, pile. Uh, it's, Again, uh, very often used for upholstery or rugs, right? Because these loops, um, you know, the hand weavers could make these these dense loops. Uh, frise is the name of one uh, that uh, we see in, for example, types of carpeting or gross point. Uh, when I look at pictures of frise, I actually remember a sofa that my um, elementary school piano teacher had. She lived in the retirement apartments that were attached to the Methodist Church on Pine Street there in Boulder. And they had this kind of um, home for the elderly, uh, uh, you know, Methodist widows, I believe. And uh, so she had an apartment in that building and uh, she would give me stale, uh, but I still just remember the, like the sweetness of it, right? But stale Girl Scout cookies. Um, her whole apartment kind of vaguely smelled of mildew. 
and I would sit on this um, uh, kind of musty smelling uh, frisee sofa, uh, you know, laying on my stomach reading a book while my brother was practicing getting his piano lesson and then it would be my turn. So I remember having my nose quite close to a frisee uh, sofa which would be would have been very popular in the 50s. So if you're an interior designer and you're doing kind of the mid-century modern, you might look out some of this fabric. Now, I mentioned terry cloth at the very beginning. This is in fact a type of pile. It uses a, a whole different um, uh, set of uh, weaving, right? So um, the first two that I talked about, uh, warp and weft piles, just involved this third set of yarns. The over the wire method just involved just all just you know, warp and filling, only we're, we're pulling up warp yarns using these wires. And uh, slack tension weaving is a very similar to um, that same method. We only have two sets of yarns, only uh, we actually will have a, a loom that's designed so that some of the yarns have lower tension than others. Well, how would we do this? We would do this by having two warp beams that are actually held at different tension right? And that we could actually just use a pedal to release, relax the tension or tighten the tension. So when both of the yarns are equally tense, we can weave in a filling yarn, right? And beat it. And now that filling yarn forms kind of the little valley, right? But then we can put the second filling yarn, oh, maybe an inch above the first filling yarn, right? And, uh, you know, it's, it's woven in there, right? We'll switch the um, harnesses so now that filling yarn is good and secure in there only when we beat it right we release the tension on the one warp beam and those uh, warps that are now um, caught by the filling yarns are actually scrunched it's basically like ratting your hair right you hold some of the hair and you pull with the comb and you rat some and it kind of sticks out on either side that's what happens with slack tension weaving and uh, we can either leave the loops on the surface because these warp yarns just bunch up to form little loops or we can cut them um, the quality on terry cloth just fyi if you're ever putting terry cloth on your uh, a gift registry list for example for a life change it's very common um, for graduation gifts or engagements etc um, don't go by how soft the towels feel uh, that's just created by uh, chemicals that are added to the towels at the point of sale. It'll come out. Dig in and look down at the base of the loops and see how tightly woven the ground is and the density, how many uh, loops are sticking out of how many interlacings. You really want to see like basically every interlacing having a loop coming out of it almost, right? That's a high quality terry cloth towel. Me personally, I didn't use terry cloth towels because I've gotten used to flat woven towels, um, sort of Turkish style that uh, cle uh, that uh, don't lint as much um, because um, I got tired of the dust and the lint. All right, uh, kind of personal, but you know, people ask me what's my opinion about textiles. So we have a third set of yarns that we can do in either the warp or filling direction. We have over the wire. We had slack tension weaving. And now uh, we have what are called pile effects. And this is where I can get into carpet. So pile effects are a low cost alternative to actually weaving. This isn't weaving I'm gonna be talking about here. The idea is that we take a backing fabric, usually a loosely woven made with very inexpensive yarns, 
made of jute, for example, like a burlap fabric. And we use a special needle, a punch needle, that has, uh, we, we basically stick the head of the needle with the yarn in it through the fabric. And then we grab the yarn off of the head of the needle and hold it while we pull the needle back. So imagine, you know, people do do this as a hobby, right? This is, we invented a machine to do what people were doing by hand. But you punch with the punch into the fabric. And in many cases, uh, what will happen if you have a special punching tool, you have a little collar that um, controls how far you can punch the needle in. And then you just grab the yarn from the tip of the needle and pull it back out. And as you pull it, the yarn stays looped on the front side. So you're punching from the back. And so you can have the back of the fabric painted with a design, maybe a kitten and a little basket with a ball, right? And so you're punching the blue, right, for the ball or the pink for the color of the kitten. And you follow the line and punch into every interlacing to create a loop of that particular color on the other side. Uh, we could do this on a, a bedspread where it's uh, called candle wicking. Uh, and so we might use a, a white yarn on white fabric and make kind of white lines, right? And this was a very popular type of bedspread in the early 20th century, sometimes called a chenille bedspread. Uh, of course, if you used chenille yarn, that would make sense, but you could just use any old yarn. It's not you know, that, that isn't what chenille is. Chenille is a type of yarn, but if you called it a chenille bedspread, you could understand why. It's a tufted bedspread. You don't have to use white. You can use colors and make, you know, designs, roses, peacocks, right? So this uh, tufted pile was originally used for things like rugs and a type of tapestry at the Dovecot Tapestry uh, uh uh, center in uh, Edinburgh, we actually saw someone tufting a huge tapestry. This was so cool. They used a pneumonic, so it used air, high-powered air, and you would they would um, uh, thread the tip of this machine with the yarn, right? So it had a punch needle that had thread in it, and then they would place it against the back of the fabric and pull the trigger, and then and they adjusted the depth, right? So let's say they were tufting the the leaves on a tree, right? And the 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 trunk of the tree they tufted shorter, and the leaves of the tree they tufted taller. And so they set the machine so that it actually went that when it when they pulled the trigger, the needle went boom out from the machine, kind of like a, a bolt gun, only it's a needle gun. Ooh murder mystery. And at any rate, sorry, sorry, I just had a whole episode in my head of a murder mystery set in Edinburgh with a killer um, tapestry artist. At any rate, um, oh, there were clues left in the tapestry. Um, so the, the tufting needle would go through the fabric carrying the yarn, and then the, uh, the needle is pulled out from the back and pressed against the fabric in the next spot, and the yarn is again pierced through the fabric. This loop is formed, right, um, with the yarn left on the other side. Uh, and so um, this method can be can be used to make these gorgeous artworks. Uh, the cool thing is that after they're done, the artist will come around to the front side, climb up a big ladder, and use a pair of scissors to very carefully shape the pile. So I mentioned like bark on a tree, right? They'll follow the lines of the color and, and carve some of the pile to be shorter than others to give it a rounded shape, right? So literally, it's like a shaped surface. But if we're just talking um, 
carpeting. This is done by a huge machine, so hundreds of needles all in a row that just go bang through the fabric. The fabric is woven like literally right before it gets to the rows of needles. And then just have somebody with a tufting gun who's watching it go, just adding in a, a little bit of a pile here and there anytime the machine misses. For some reason, if a, if a loop doesn't go all the way through or pulls back, um, they can add it back. So 95% of carpeting is manufactured using this tufting method. And uh, it's very common. And like I said, you can do gorgeous designs with it, but in carpeting situations, they're mainly just tufting, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, you know, repetitive patterns, but still, right. It's, it's can be pretty cool, right? Um, that you could have the one needle with the one color and then it pulls back and a different needle with a different color pops forward, right? So you can program the computer that runs the machine to create, um, almost endless color variations. If you've ever been in a casino hotel, you know what I'm talking about, right? The amazing nature of carpet in Las Vegas. It is like, you could just spend days wandering the halls of those buildings, looking at the carpeting if you're into textiles, I guess. Uh, let's talk a little bit about carpet quality. Uh, if you're looking at some carpet and you wanna know if it's good carpeting or not, uh, the first thing you're gonna be doing is you're gonna be looking to see if the pile is tall and dense, right? The higher the pile and the more dense it is, the higher quality the carpet. You wanna check the fiber content uh, to make sure that the, the fiber content is what you expected. If you're paying a lot of money for a wool carpet, you don't wanna get tricked by a polypropylene carpet. Additionally, you can take a look at the twist of the yarns. Very tall twist yarns, uh, very loose twisted yarns are a great way to uh, trick people into thinking the carpet is really dense when in fact it's just lots of loose fibers that are going to end up getting sucked up into the vacuum cleaner. And lastly, you're going to want to take a look at the primary and secondary backing. So the primary backing is the uh, fabric that the carpet was tufted into. Typically, as I mentioned before, made from jute or occasionally polypropylene, very inexpensive fabrics. No big deal there, but you just want to make sure that it's tightly woven enough. There should be a layer of latex, uh, sort of a, a glue coating between the primary and secondary backing. So you're going to want to peel that backing back and check to see that the that the glue is thick enough and that it's spongy enough. That's part of what gives the carpet its its um, bounce. And if that latex dries out too quickly, the the pile can be pulled loose and also just cause its own dust. So you want to make sure that they chose a really good um, uh, coating in there. And all of that contributes to the quality of a carpeting. And lastly, besides uh, tufting, we can create another pile effect that's an even lower cost alternative, which is basically to coat fabric with glue and then sprinkle the pile on. It's called flocking. And flocking is a pile-like texture that was produced by gluing or adhering using adhesive, these very short fibers to the surface of the fabric. So if we look at the backside of a woven fabric, uh, pile fabric like velvet, we don't see anything on the backside. We just see the woven ground. If we look on the backside of a tufted fabric, we see a set of yarns that kind of look like stitches. This is when the yarns were moved from one uh, interlacing to the next to be inserted into the fabric as a tuft. But with a flocked pile, we won't see anything on the back. 
right? Because all the fibers have been glued onto the front side. Very uh, low abrasion resistance, low quality. Uh, the pile is necessarily very short because it was literally just sprinkled on. Um, he, did you ever make a, a card for your dad or mom when you were in elementary school and you put like a picture with glue and then you sprinkled glitter on it, right? And then you uh, shook it, right? And um, uh, after it had dried just a tiny bit and all of the extra glue, uh, glitter shook off. It's kind of what we do here. We we put glue on the fabric and then we sprinkle using a, it's literally called a flock hopper. We sprinkle the flocking onto the surface, beater bars underneath, bounce it up and down to try and get the fibers to stand up straight. And then after it's had a moment to dry, this big um, suction uh, 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 hood sucks up the extra pile um, can't really be reused because now it's got glue on it, but um, uh, these extra fibers were just uh, chopped up yarn, right, That are fibers that were glued to the surface. Um, you know, it's going to be used for uh, maybe upholstery fabrics, velux blankets, they're foam with this pile glued to either side, nice and warm, soft and fuzzy, I guess nicer than just pulling up a piece of foam over yourself, uh, but uh, not at all an actual velvet blanket. Um, and so uh, really in lots of ways, kind of a depressing fabric. Uh, we'll talk again about flocking when we discuss uh, the, some other finishes that might use flocking, but I just want to mention now that flocking can be used to imitate pile weaves like velvet, only when you um, take a look at it, you can just pull the fibers right out of the glue. Uh, it's a it's a very poor imitator. In the next episode, I will discuss textured weaves and double cloths, and that will be the end of our fancy weaving journey. <music>